Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. With me today, Roger Hart. Hello. Lucy Boys. Uh, I'm back, motherfuckers. You guys did a pretty good job without me though, didn't you? We had a nice time. We, we had a lot of, lot of positive feedback on the last show. Like, probably more listeners than we've had in a very long time. It got which a real spike. I find incredibly insulting. Well, um, you are shit. Yeah, I know. Pure shit. Pure, pure shit. I shouldn't even be talking now. I quite like the fact that we replaced him with cheeses. Yeah, that's delicious. People just like cheese and gay stuff, I think. I don't think it's any sort of referendum on you as a person. Except that I'm not bringing enough lactose and gayness to every aspect of my life. I mean, the shirt you're wearing, if you started getting, you know, just, just squeezing some lactation out... What, what do you mean? It looks a bit like cheesecloth. Is that what you mean? No, I mean, it's kind of gay. Oh, right. So if you sat I, there eating some cheese, you, you'd be getting there, you know? Right. I, I thought this was far too garish for the homosexuals. I thought they were tasteful people. It's, it's possible, but I could see one of them wearing it. Just one. I think his name is probably Bill. Yeah, possibly. Old gay Bill. Old gay Bill. Okay. Well, that's... I mean, that does kind of sound like you're passing judgment. On you or on the homosexual community? Pretty much everyone unilaterally is receiving your judgment right now. I don't think I'm like capable of judging that hard. No, you kind of you kind of look like you're on the verge of passing out. But I, I want can do a podcast anyway. Think oh. think about the cheeses. Okay. It'll perk you. It'll perk you right up. Mm. We could go get that ghost cheese pizza afterwards. I think I might. Hey Lucy. Hey. Tell us about Check Please. Check Please is great. It's by Ngozi Okazu. Um, who has, I think, recently did an MFA in some kind of like art-related thing and has been doing a bunch of stuff on Tumblr. This is a webcomic, a Tumblr-based webcomic, um, about uh, men's hockey at a Northeastern American college. I see, it's a pun. Yes, it's a pun in that the main character, um, whose background is more in sort of ice dancing than in hockey, uh, joins the men's hockey team and is basically incapable of dealing with body checks in the sport like if he gets hit he kind of falls over on the ice and freezes and sort of that's that's the comics in but then it goes to lots of different places from there it's got drinking friendship gay intrigue like the sad troubled tragic his dad was an nhl superstar team captain guy with bright searing blue eyes and flushed cheeks all the time it's got a lot of hockey stuff. It's, it's, got, lot, got, like, it's got a lot of hockey stuff. It's got stuff. like tongue-in-cheek bros explain hockey. Yes, it's it's all it's very endearing. The thing that annoys me most about it is actually the title. Fair. Is he at least a waiter as well? No, this is the problem. It's a second-tier pun, and I fucking mm. hate second-tier puns. They are inferior to if first-tier If you're going to bring puns, bring bring the good stuff. Only yeah. bring your A game. To, to puns. I, I, I can forgive it. It's, I think, as with most... I think I comments, can as well. I've not read it, but that seems like a fairly trivial thing to get hung up on. Well, it, yeah. it's, it's pretty good. I also initially didn't like, but really quickly got over the visual segmentation. Yes, actually, so, so um, one of the points I was going to bring up was comics on Tumblr. It's only a thing that I've done one other time, and my main beef with it is it's much harder to do sort of URL-based flicking through the archive because it, Tumblr doesn't really mm. archive shit like that. So if the creator doesn't build their own archive of links somewhere on their page, which yeah. this person hasn't, it's quite hard to navigate. But what it does do is kind of pulls out each panel into a sort of like light box type thing that you can scroll through, 
which I actually really enjoyed. I mean, as we sort of... It works really well for this one. As we found out last week, I actually do better with comics when I read them panel by panel mm. than I do when I read them all on a page, so it was pleasing to me. Initially, I was like, what the fuck is this? Is this some um, modern digi-comics faux-televisual wankfest? Uh, because part of the premise is he's a vlogger. Yes. So the, most of the comics open with him talking to camera in his room and trying not to get overheard by his mum or roommates or whatever. Mm-hmm. And initially I thought this was like a wanky attempt to do that because sometimes there's sometimes there are visual effects. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's gifts and stuff, which is refreshing. It's it's a I, th- I think a thing that Tumblr actually brings to these comics that's quite positive. But it's measured. It's not over the top. No, not at all. It's it's subtle. It's nice. It, I just I got my eye in really quickly and the mm-hmm. style stopped annoying me really fast. Yeah. Ulo does a lot of fun stuff with gifts mm-hmm. as well. Um, in terms of the comic itself, it's. I think like any webcomic from a relatively fresh creator, it's a little bit shaky in the start and there are some kind of, there are some sort of minor issues of, there's actually a little too, a little too little show sometimes. So if we're talking show, don't tell, there are bits where the way the characters are talking, maybe it's just because I don't know shit about hockey, but it was a little obscure compared to the amount of exposition I would sort of want as a reader, but it picks up really fast, it gains pace really fast, it doesn't have that sort of doll from first year that you get with a lot of webcomics. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of even the art style, the oh, lettering nice. tightens up really nicely. Kind of like, I saw this with Carl's Bed and Breakfast actually, I think I forgot to complain about it on the last podcast, but, and you see this with a lot of stuff, particularly slice of life stuff, where there's not enough trust in the show. Mm-hmm. So the early ones tend to be super texty and then they get more confident in how to pace the storytelling visually. Yeah. Um, it, it was one of those webcomics where I got to as far as it's run so far and was genuinely saddened that there wasn't any more to read and I think that's probably the mark of a thing that's doing its thing quite well you're invested how much, how much is there is it like it's because it's covered a couple of years of his university life part way right? through his second year at university yeah, so currently in terms I think or uh, it's 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 done by I think it's done by year and then there's a summer bit in between but mm. because there is no formal archive it's kind of hard to tell mm. the structure you just I just picked that up from the um, sort of navigation yeah. bar at the bottom yeah. of the thing. It's adorable visually. It really is. Yeah, it's really endearing. And some of the um, some of the friendship stuff is super nice. Like there's. There's intrigue and there's darkness, but no one's mean. It's kind of a... It's a very kind world. Yeah, it sort of fakes out thinking people are going to be mean and they turn out to be all right. Mm. That's one of the things I loved in Squirrel Girl. Mm. Even though it's set in the Marvel Universe, everyone just bends to fit this sort of nice, safe world that they've created in there. I think you've got something kind of similar with this in that the main character is extremely upbeat, extremely optimistic. Um... I mean, he's a he's a young gay guy who's like fully sort of out to his parents and kind of quite comfortable with it, which is nice to see. There's none of the kind of mm-hmm. the sort of tortured southern come out type stuff that you yeah. could have gone through with that same character. He's just he likes baking pies. That's his thing. He makes he's lots of pies. Basically obsessed with baking pies. I can relate. <laughs> this was Roger's origin story too. He's, I mean, he's probably cuter than me, but I bake a lot of pie. I imagine if I body checked Roger, he would probably fall over as well. Yeah, and he'd be quite he'd upset. Yeah, but then I'd bite you. You would bite. You know, well, I'm, I'm wearing quite low ankled shoes. That was a mistake. Mm. That's a problem. I'd know well, I've got my spurs on. I'd gnaw your fucking tendons out. Yeah, I know. It's always a worry. Lucy, what else have you been reading? 
Um, I also caught up with the latest trade of Sex Criminals. Yes. How was that for you? It was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I actually did some sex things afterwards. And what higher recommendation is there for a book that is, in this volume, mostly about mental health, relationships breaking down, and the destruction of a library? Well, now you know what gets me off. Do they not save the library? Hey, there's still time! They haven't saved the library yet. Aww. No, this this was this was this was great. It felt like a really really strong continuation to the series. If the first trade was world building, scene setting, character introduction, all the stuff you've got to do at the beginning, this felt really fresh. They bring in some new characters. They take it in some new places. I was very pleasantly surprised. I think as well they um, they sort of run it to an extent like phases of relationships. The first one is sort of all first blush and just people fucking frantically and then the second one is sort of people starting to find out more about what makes them tick and what's wrong with them what's holding them back and realizing that actually it seemed really really great for the first few months but you've got some problems and you can either deal with this like grown-ups or you can just not do it and that's kind of a hard call to make yeah it's about sort of john refuse whether or not he will engage with his mental health issues Mm -hmm. Um, but also people fucking freeze time and rob banks. I and mean, he shits that's still in a pot plant up. quite a lot. Yeah, he does shit in a pot plant really Which I can relate lot. to. And he meets his therapist, his new therapist, and who happens to look just like Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> uh, which is horrifying later on when you see said character naked a lot. I do like me some Zdarsky. Not in a sex way. Like I like his work. You, I, you've I like also got work. plenty of, of, of Matt and Chip sort of back matter antics tone and phrasing stuff yeah going on there's a lot of that which is they it, I'm continually surprised by actually how much of that I can take without finding it troublesome it's all just so sh- good natured yeah like there's no attempt to really blend it in it's just we're fucking about at the edges we're some weird guys here's yeah. some weird stuff that we like said or thought um, and I, normally I'd have probably less patience for that but it doesn't feel like an affectation it kind of feels like genuinely what they are and that's scary for all of us including them I mean yeah it just feels like their their creative process is quite scattershot and it just Mm -hmm. spills over onto the page Um, I did particularly like the uh, gag in the back of one of the bookshop scenes about getting their membership card and then getting a sad hand job whenever you buy a book (laughs) (laughs) I liked Robert Rainbow yeah, the friendly gynecologist. I loved. I loved how they introduced uh. him and like how they brought him into John's backstory mm-hmm. in the weirdest way. It was wonderful. How does that go down? Read the book. Read the book. Read the book. Yeah. I've got it in my car. If you want to borrow it from Dave, who owns it, who I didn't ask before I offered it to you. You can have my stuff if you want. I know. He knows where I live. He's rubbed himself on your Reeboks and your PlayStation Two. I that did one. all his Reeboks. I just want it on the record Air since Max, I'm back. Air Jordans, Air I do Nikes. not. I do not own any Reeboks. I do not own a PlayStation you, Two. Not since you threw them out after but, a T-Bag. But I think it's hidden fairly, fairly uh, substantially. I, I have one of the more recent PlayStations. So I'm it. very proud of it. I am very proud right. of it. I did have a good old frot on your Ida down. Please stop saying Ida down, right? I, can any can can anyone please comment if they still use the word Ida down as opposed to duvet or Big fat bed holder, or one of the more modern terms. I put my nipple near your Neo Geo. I do have a Neo Geo. I know. She's also been in my house. 
We touched all his stuff. We did all of it with all of our stuff. Yeah, it was a good time. So Sex Criminals 2 then? Sex Criminals 2, it's pretty good if you enjoy sex or crime or any combination thereof, but particularly the zany antics with a side of mental illness side. I do I, I do love how well the mental illness stuff is handled it feels a little bit odd at the start it feels like a, a couple of of do your or don't you take your pills dichotomy bits of phrasing as well which sort of says sort of antidepressive rather than antidepressant medication I'm mm. very fussy about my suffixes when it comes to this stuff because an improper could, suffix suggests you don't actually know what you're talking about could that be a linguistic change between here and the states or possibly the Canada. I would be very surprised if it was. I think that's a sort of universal term. But but other than in terms of the actual sort of like social impact, that's done quite well. Good. Good. What else you read? What else I read? I read Space Dumplings. Space Dumplings. Oh. Everyone's reading Space Dumplings. Fuck me, was it good? I picked it up. So I'm glad you actually liked it. Of course I, I actually I liked thought, it. I thought I might be in the hole for some serious blowback here. on because The I got, blowback hole. I got... Really frothy about it last no, week. No, 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 no. I frothed just as much. Um, it, it is... Oh, we're a foamy old time. Absolutely charming. It's one of the things I like the most. I've read, I've read, I think, pretty much everything that Craig Thompson's done. And yes, the art is lovely and the colouring is new and interesting for him. But... It's, yeah, I think they, they hired someone in to do it. But yes, I they can't did. remember his name, I'm afraid. Nor can I, but it's um, credited in the book. And yes. we can put it in the show notes. It's in the front of the book. It's not on the cover. Oh. I know. I know. Ooh. It does feel a little bit lousy. But, but anyway, know, there's... Scholastic only have three books, so... Yeah. And the rest of them by Raina Chalgemeyer. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really enjoyed was, actually, how good the writing was. I think it's the best written thing he's done in a long time. The characterisation felt really fucking tight. And there was nothing in it that made it feel not true about the experiences of a young girl, and that was lovely to read, especially done by a dude. So, I mean, you talked about it quite a lot, mm-hmm. so we probably shouldn't delve into it too much again, and I'm going to read it this week. Oh, you, you haven't read it yet? Oh, no, I've, okay. I, I picked it up, but um, I was going to try and... Uh, it looks beautiful. It seems like it's going to do some fun stuff around class. Um, yeah, if, yeah. It, so I, I gave it both barrels on that last week, and I won't recover that it's interesting Uh, actually one of the things that I really enjoy about doing this show is the difference between what I think a comic is going to be based on either of you guys explaining mm. it and then what it actually turns out to be when I read it how close was this? um close enough thematically but it wasn't structured quite the way I thought Mm. it would be because I basically described pitched it as Roald Dahl in space Mm, yeah yeah I could see that Oh, Does bad. it explain the difference between good adults and bad adults? Bad adults. Yeah, pretty much. Oh god, the lab star. I know. I, I, I actually chuckled out loud at that, yeah. and I don't very often make noises when I'm on my own, because I find yeah. it weird. Well, I picked it up and went, this is 400 pages of impossibly dense Craig Thompson art, and I don't have it time to It took me, to I think, less than an hour. And it's ten pounds. It's ten shitting pounds. Yeah. I don't understand how that... With that many people involved in making it. The economics of scale. But for, for, what is it, about 400 pages? Yeah. It's three-something. It's quite high-quality print. Yeah. It is. I don't Glossy. understand how it's that cheap. I picked it up for $13 in the States, so like that's seven, eight quid. That's it's no insane. money at all. That's beer money. You couldn't even buy a pizza for that much money. No. It's, yeah, fucking hell. I mean, I know, they, they, I know it's all ages and they try and hold the prices down, but mm. they could easily have... 
I, I, they could have kicked that out at 12, 13 quid and probably be selling as much. Well, it's kind of refreshing and there's also a lot of similar stuff by similarly well-regarded artists on a similar scale easily comes in the 20 quid price yeah, point, which for me is too high to begin with. I will usually mm. wait until it comes down. Oh, it's lovely though. I, I wanked on about a bit, this a bit last week, but the page design... But the panel flow is something I've not really seen from him before. Mm-hmm. It, it gets quite elaborate in blankets and um, Carne. Habibi as well. And yeah. Carne is more of a sketchbook. Collagey. Habibi's got some very complicated stuff between the language and the, mm. the panel layout. Yeah. So this isn't quite that. The page layout sort of it follows the action, but in particular, it's just really kinetic. It follows. It's violet, isn't it? Yeah, okay. it, it follows Violet very closely. It's got when she's in it. I mean, she isn't always, but um, her kind of mood and her trajectory through the mm-hmm. scenery. It's. Um, I do like how the sidekick characters as well look like they're just they've just dropped in from different cartoons, mm. quite different styles. An well. orange blob and a chicken boy. Yeah. yeah, it does feel. like... I love the chicken boy. The chicken boy is great. It feels like the Saturday morning cartoon that we all deserve, even as grown ups. Mm. It's I'm, lovely. I'm, I'm thrilled to see you both so happy about it. You're thrilled to see us both happy, really, about anything, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it's a nice book as well. Like, it not is. universally, not always, but overall. We've got to do best of the year fairly soon, so the fact that you've both actually enjoyed something is really helping me out here yeah. from an editorial yeah. standpoint. It's like, we're going to have to find some crazy special shit at Thought Bubble for that not to make my best of list. You hear that, Thought Bubble people? Try harder. Them's fighting words. You have to compete with Craig Thompson. It's fine. You have to compete with him like one year and six. Dude does intricate shit. Yeah. Yes, he does. To be fair, my, my slots for the best stuff are filling up pretty fucking fast. I can't remember what year anything I've read was published in, so I might need your help. Did well, we you have two hits of armor this year? Oh. Did you also read the fifth Beatle? I did also read the fifth Beatle. And how was that for you? It was interesting. It was not what I expected. It was a lot more surreal than I expected. Mm, a lot more yeah. magical realism kind of thing going on. Um, yes. I found it interesting. It was a story that I didn't really know much about. So um, just for the, for the audience, this is a, a, yeah, a slightly magical realist biography of Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles manager. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of hard, given the way it sort of played around with kind of everything, to know to know how far along the real spectrum a mm. lot of the stuff yeah. was. And I don't know enough about the Beatles to judge that, because I quite posedly and deliberately do not give the first shade of a shit about them. Fair. But I think, I mean, I think there's, there's one sort of real fake-out magical realist element that is sort of revealed towards the end mm-hmm. uh, and the rest of it is not so strong there's just some changes in style some drifts that's yeah. the Philippines adventure bit yeah. total change of style thing well it, it jumps into the sort of weird like, spin-off adventure devil comic pig and Melvin style. Marcos yelling at them yes that was unexpected yeah that was a little strange didn't get on with that um, I mean that was it wasn't brilliantly handled but it was a representation of sort of comics at the time yeah. about the no, Beatles. I can see that. Um, I mean, I guess the thing that I thought it fell down on in a lot of places, the art was gorgeous, but it was 
the art of somebody who is used to doing art rather than comics. It felt very static. There's a lot of yes. panning to one facial expression of one beetle to one facial expression of another beetle, back to the same facial expression of the first beetle. A lot beetle. of sort of references to help as well. A lot of lined up shots where you get one person then half faces along. Yeah. It didn't feel... It didn't feel... There was, the flow wasn't right. I think I could have coped with that if the writing was a little bit less prosaic. Mm -hmm. So I I thought the artwork was wonderful, even if it was more sort of illustrated text than full-on comic. Yeah. In large parts. I thought the... um, I thought the illustration was absolutely beautiful in places and sort of, for the most part, fully painted. Um, Mm -hmm. Is it Andrew Andrew Robinson? It is Andrew Robinson who was the artist. By and large, it looks lovely. Mm -hmm. And I think it did... Based on what I then went to go on to read about the guy, I think it presented a very kind of favourable view of him compared to sort of some of the ways other people were talking about him at the time. You know, there were some things where some of the contracts actually looked like he had screwed the Beatles over a little bit more than he told them he was screwing them over kind of thing, and that doesn't really come through in this. It's a very, um, it's a very favourable biography. Yeah. But, yeah, but it sort of views him as a beautiful star child who burned out before his time. Yes, because of all them pills. You do like those pills. Don't do pills, children. No. She said, having done a lot of pills. Avoid the pills and the powders. Oh, Go all natural. Like booze. Yeah. It's pretty natural. I mean, I, I would... It's pretty natural. You get it if you leave grapes in a puddle. It's pretty brilliant. I mean, don't do that. Someone will probably tidy that up. But you could. <laughs> I don't... I'm not. I'm not trusting anything you've brewed. Anything else on the Fifth Beetle? Um, just to say that it was that I that I did enjoy it. That it was something interesting about a time I didn't really know that much about. And if if that's your thing, if you're interested in that period in music or in British history and entertainment or in the Beatles, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, I've recommended it to my sister who is a a Beatles fan. I think there's definitely there's definitely an audience for it, but I wouldn't say it's uncritically wonderful. Yeah, I would agree. I thought it assumed a bit more cultural history than it showed, which is sort of fair enough. Hmm. I, I think it assumed a bit more knowledge of the Beatles than I had, which is also fair enough. Because I think I, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because as discussed, my like child poser thing of deliberately not knowing anything about them, finding them slightly annoying. Um, yeah, that's what I did with Bond films. Yeah. But I, I don't know, I kind of, in terms of revealing stuff about a period I didn't know much about, that there's a book I'd have liked it to have been which was more of a social history seen through the lens of their lives mm-hmm. now it doesn't get marked down for not being the thing in my head that it isn't trying to be that's that's not fair but there is something I would have enjoyed reading that would have been that thing but there is I mean there is a strand there of being a, an incredibly powerful and popular person and the life that you want being denied to you because mm. of society's mores which I thought yeah, was sure more the first half of the book than the second. Mm-hmm. And I quite the second was sort of the deterioration, but you could have worked almost purely around that if you wanted to and probably have come up with something more interesting. Mm. Yeah. So there's a thing, there's a story you could tell. Again, this isn't that and you don't mark it down for this. Of um, Your day job is running the fucking Beatles. Mm-hmm. But imagine the door closes when you come home at night. Right. There's, there's a thing there. Mm. So, Hart, what have you been reading? Actually, before you tell us what you're reading, tell us what we're drinking. You actually want to know this time. 
I figure I can't stop you. You really can't. So, this is a classic um, Austrian uh, Gruner Veltliner. Uh, Veltliner, I think. Um, it's called Sepp, I think. I'm not sure of the exact vineyard. But it's a really, really good example of the style. It's citrus and minerals. But the acid this is, is contained... It's chalky, isn't it? It is, it is. But So you, you've got this kind of... Hmm, the, the I really soft. hope the microphone picks up your snuffling... The, the, the soft kind of Austrian Grunewaldliner citrus on the nose, which which follows through onto the the palate and finish. So at the front you've got the mineral, you've got that petroly thing that you might expect from a Riesling, but sharpened right up, and then it kind of flows through into lemony, grapefruity, but not overpoweringly astringent. It's a fruity good time. I'm drinking a Coke. You are. Feels like sugar water in a can. That's pretty much all I can do to describe it. If you've ever been alive, you probably know what it tastes like. It tastes like Coke. Coke is the thing that only tastes of itself. Yeah. I prefer this wine. The secret ingredient in Coke is nutmeg. Is it? No, but that's what Ray Smarkle says when he gets high in Akewood. Ray gets a little bit high. It's a good strip. We should link to it from the show notes. It's one of the best. I probably won't. I think we say that a lot and I never do. Nutmeg. Nutmeg is fascinating. Right, so... (laughs) Strap in, folks. We're going off-piste. I cannot deal with the fascinations of nutmeg. Not tonight. So nutmeg is actually (laughs) Really, really fucking do this fast. (laughs) I'll stop. No, no. Tell us why you care about nutmeg. And And if anyone really wants to find out more, we'll give them your phone number and ask them only to call between the hours of two and four in the morning. He'll be giving a webinar, a one-hour webinar next week on the mystical properties of nutmeg. There's a book called, I think it's called Mr. Nathaniel's Nutmeg, which tells the story. Um, But basically, the early origins of a lot of international trading that fed into colonialism and the big trading companies like the East India Company have their roots in the early shipping route for nutmeg, which was in search high demand in, I think, the 16th century. Might have been 15th, but let's say 16th. They wanted a custard tarts. Pretty much. But basically, imagine a world so boring that people would go on fatal thousand-mile sea voyages to get nutmeg. Did they know it could get them high? I doubt it. The reason that New Amsterdam became New York was that the Dutch traded it to the British in exchange for this island that just grew nutmeg. Oh, oh, so I'm not allowed nutmeg facts, but you can get all. I know this fact. I don't give a shit. I just thought it was pertinent. My only nutmeg fact is that it will get you high. That concludes the nutmeg section of the podcast. Hart, what have you been reading? <laughs> um, I have been reading a few things. Um, so This is a sassy podcast. Yeah, Fuck you. Um, oh, Fires Above Hyperion by... Um, by Patrick Atangan. Atangan? I, I, I've butchered his name. I'm sorry. Um, sorry, Patrick. Sorry, Paddy. You get to be a colonialist without even having a nutmeg island. Oh, I know. I did quite like nutmeg. Me too. But, so, this is... Um, so, his previous book was called something like Invincible Days. Um, I think it was called that. And that's a series of short stories, kind of memories from his life in bits and pieces. And he's done bits of work for hire, but he's not had masses by web collections or, or own stuff. He's also an artist and furniture maker, and his chairs and sideboards are fucking sexy. The man, the man gives good furniture. 
but this is a an introspective kind of collection. It's um, it's sort of about his dating life. You know, no one says sideboard anymore either. Oh no, my parents definitely do. They had a yeah, sideboard. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're quite old. I, th- I don't think so anyone of our generation. Lucy, Lucy it. explained to me the other day in a way that I hadn't quite realised. Yes. Um, which she described, was it the Nan Perry? Nan Kids. Nan Kids. This is a Russell Brand concept. It's the, the slightly weird kid at school who's being raised by their grandparents. They have odd old person affectations. Which is not me, but only child of older parents with some slightly old timey oh, worldviews. Come views. on, you're being raised by Christopher Isherwood. Shush now. But, um, but yeah, but this does. So there is a whole bunch of. There's a, there's a whole bunch of old timey stuff in my upbringing. Um, Sideboards, Ida Downs, Cider Downs, Routine beatings. Broadly. So, um, Fires Above Hyperion he tells the story of, of well, it's Patrick's dating career. The, jack, the obnoxious jacket blurb describes it as Sex in the City told by a gay Charlie Brown, um, which is not a bad hook to hang it off in that it tells you what it's doing, but it totally fails to live up to any of those things. Or rather, it lives up to the worst of them and that undersells it. So... It's got the piss tedious self involvement of Sex and the City, and it's got the like halting self doubt and weird pacing issues of Charlie Brown. But that's not a great way of describing it because it's actually it's a good time. It's visually beautiful. It's um, it's it's all digital, and it's got this sort of squashed center of the color palette assembled out of geometrics. Could be a paper cut style. So it like sort of. I thought it looked great. It could be done out of... No, I loved it, but, it's my, but you, you could easily have... It is digital, but you could easily have made it out of paper cutouts. It's got that kind of almost matisse style. Robert Ball's got a very similar thing. I bought a few of his things at Thought Bubble. I think he's more of a designer, but he does the odd comic. I was thinking bits of the Asterius Polyp as well. Yeah, yeah there's... Modernism happening. Hmm. Yeah, there's bits of Asterius Polyp in it. I, I went to Matisse... Um, there's also these fancy people. Um, a Parker, the Parker comics. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The color palette and some of the swoosh has has an influence there, and mm-hmm. the way some of the color there influences. Visually, the only thing wrong with it is that occasionally he completely fucks the contrast and puts black lettering against a very dark background, and it's hella hard to read. Um, but it's these lovely stories of him fucking up his dating life, basically, just things going awkward and awful and wrong, or people being terrible shits, and then him making it worse. So it's got that sort of slightly hand wringing. I'm not a bad dude, but I'm not emotionally competent. Mm. Um, and yet I still want to be in relationships with humans. Yeah. It, the, the six or seven stories in it, it's quite a short thing. Some of them are achingly self-indulgent, some of them are genuinely great. There's a really good one where he, um, I think it's called Not My Type, or No One's, it's called No One's Type, I think. Where he examines the way he fits into the sort of gay casual dating scene. Badly, like, too old and not skinny enough to be a twink, not hairy enough to be an otter. Everyone's dating profile says no Asians. Where the shit does this leave me? And it's his, so it got it's got some of the sexual racism stuff. It's got some of the identity politics stuff, and then sort of finally meets a good guy who ends up cheating on him for various mm. reasons. And it, it it covers it rather beautifully. I think you could just have that piece taken out, and you get a lot of the value of the book. It's that's kind of the the most mm. powerful one. But I picked it up largely on the on the strength of. of of how, how delightful it looks. And because I do have that thing of, ooh, gay stuff, I'll read the gay stuff because isn't it nice to be pandered to? But, um, would I recommend it? Would I recommend it? Broadly. Who to? Who's it for? Who to's? Um, hmm? 
It was a joke about the tribal group, the Hutus. Let's move on from that. Let's move on. Mm. Who would you recommend it to? Well, as a fussy, awkward, self-indulgent, middle-class gay man, it felt quite well-targeted to me. (laughs) I don't know. You can see it being a bit Guardian as well, a bit sort of... Well, look, Gerald, finish your coffee, right? Well, let's have a look at the gays. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I want to say I read The Guardian and I've never done that. You have finished your coffee. I have. I finish every gays. coffee I have. I wouldn't, yeah, but I don't, I don't do that in the company of someone called Gerald. You're Gerald in this instance. Am I? Yeah, yes. but someone, someone gently awful thinks you're called Gerald and is very concerned that your coffee is finished with... It's Roger. I don't think I'm having a relationship with someone who calls me Gerald. But you could be. I we could be. I mean, there are there are you. there are drugs and underground crime rings that would allow for this second life to be built. I think we could just find you someone by pretending to be you on Okay Cupid, and then just see what happens. Just put them in your house for a few hours, like introducing new cats to each other. Just it all right. shakes out with the screaming and the clawing. But it would have to be around breakfast time on a Saturday or a Sunday so I could finish my paper. You could paper. have an evening coffee. You I don't drink do. coffee after five. Oh, no, really? I don't drink after oh, five. Shit. No, this, this has solid time bounds. That really doesn't sound Damn. like you, Gerald. You've got boundaries, Gerald. What else have you been reading? <laughs> Sorry, I... I just, I don't know who I'd recommend that to. It's, it's for twats like me who will slightly resent the self-indulgence of it, but enjoy the art. What else? Fussy, literate homosexuals are an audience that we are probably speaking to. Mm. I think that's fine. So do I. You guys keep being you. (laughs) Sorry. You read Descender. Yeah, I, I read... Descender, which, so I picked up the first trade, I think we talked about it, sort of blah, 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 the first single a while ago, I, which I think we talked about. And this is Jeff Lemire and um, Dustin Nguyen's big book of Mass Effect fan fiction. Oh, that one. But there's no, look, that, you just can't duck this, right? I know Mass Effect didn't invent it, but it's closest to Mass Effect's version of it than anyone else's. Future Society, Galactic Alliance, yada yada yada, giant robots turn up and fuck everything up, revolt against the robots, paranoia. The robots might return, so we need to find out what makes them tick. You get the... There's also Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got a lot of stuff, right? It's, it's a common, just really it's a cultural got, space trip. I mean, there's stuff there. It's there's, visually there's hanging itself off but yeah, Mass Effect quite mm-hmm. strongly. There's a lot that looks like the... Spire? Is it the Spire? Citadel. 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 Spire is out of Citadel, isn't it? It's the Citadel. So we picked up, I think, some, all of us, maybe just you and I, read the first single. Yeah, I picked up the trade as well, so I can jump right in here. It's fully painted. It's all watercolour all the time. It's fucking gorgeous. It is overwhelmingly beautiful. Uh, The writing is occasionally extraordinarily lazy, but I'm willing to forgive it a lot on the strength of just liking the plot and the setting. Yeah, it sort of it started out feeling as though it was going to be epic and complicated, and it switched to sort of grubby space opera. And I'm enjoying the grubby space opera. It just felt like a step change from what it was. Yeah. So the first issue opens with this grand sweep and the planet-sized robots and all the portentous stuff, and it's beautiful. And then it pulls right down into a small story. Um, everything has something complicatedly to do with Tim Twenty One, this little companion droid. 
which is actually, you know, it's good world building in the mm. end. It just felt yeah. like a full start to me to an extent. So issue one is Big Sweep pulling down to Tim 21. Issue two is Tim 21 going on a magical brain journey whilst he slowly deactivates. And then we get into, they get abducted by space pirates or space assholes or whatever they are. And everyone goes on space exciting assholes. Magical brain journey, space assholes. <laughs> Would you like me to unpack that a little? Maybe a little. <laughs> so um, issue two has one of those kind of um, recovery structures where it's... It's the out of gas of this comic book. Okay. He's been shot, he's remembering stuff, mm-hmm. and in the process of so doing, we then cut back to how he ends up getting shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's partly his memories and partly a hallucination of him being inducted into... We don't know exactly what it is. It's some kind of dreamland full of robots we can, by implication, assume that there's some kind of unified puddle of robot consciousness that he has access to. A bit like the Mass Effect level where you go and fucking shoot up the Geth server thing. I love thing. that. It's fun. It's, it looks great. It's a good method of storytelling as well. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a way uh, of... I, I did the good guy version. I didn't shoot it up. I sort of... You still have to shoot it a bit. You, still you have, have to shoot, shoot it a bit. bit yeah. yeah. I did the good guy version as well. But Me too. The thing about that is it's... They it's, fucking made friends with the Quarians. I saved yeah, everyone like, right. twice. I got that going. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. They, um, they do a really good job with that, the very mass effect, of doing the look over here storytelling, but without it being boring. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Tim... And then they, they go on a space adventure, so... Guilty, weird, angsty scientist who has something to do with it all gets sent to find the android child. Um, space scavengers kidnap them. A bunch of people who don't like each other end up having to get on and break out from the space scavengers. There's, there's this whole bunch of stuff. And then we find out that there's a, a weird backstory about the rec- technology possibly having been recovered from a past age. And there's some mumbling Ooh. about harbin- harbingers and goodness knows what. And really? Harbingers? Not, like literally not, harbingers? No, they don't use no, the word no, harbinger. harbinger analogy. Uh, he uses the word harbinger, but in a different context. Okay. It's a lowercase. Um, so there's something going on with the giant robots and something going on with the historical sweep of robot consciousness, basically. I, I sort of downgraded it from epic interesting thing that I have to read to fun thing that I'm going to read. And, you know, I'm not going to get it as singles. I will continue to buy the trades as they come out. Um, I'm... With the caveat that I would say buy it in digital. The digital actually looks much better. The ability to zoom in... The digital looks much better than the printed version. This is true. If you get the high-definition PDFs, it looks fairly astonishing. Um, I, I mean, I, I've got the trade. I thought the trade looked fine, but it, the, the resolution has been scanned at. You can see every fucking crinkle in the watercolors. Mm. Um, it looks lovely it's if you so want to good. sit and stare at a lot of reds and purples. I'm guessing you do. What kind of an assumption is that? Drugs. <sighs> Rude. Sometimes it's very sparse, um, visually. So one of the problems with games like Mass Effect is that quite often the design of the space habitats, the design of corridors, the design of environments is kind of dull and Space unappealing. utilitarian. Well, you'd have to be. You're not going to waste resources mm. in space. But without looking as fun as the sort of Blade runner stuff, without... Like it's, it's, it's better when it goes to grunge, but the clinical stuff is boring to walk around. Oh, even I think it is Space Dumplings does another good job of a wide variety of mm. quite interesting space settings. So I think well, people probably would waste resources in space. I think people would still go for useless beauty even if they were in space. Well, that's Let's. what the Citadel's about, though, yeah. to some extent. Though. You've got a big fucking 
grassy lake type thing in space. You don't need that shit. And this works around that wonderfully with what I initially thought was a... Well, it, no, it's just a weird art tick of when it's sterile, they just don't bother doing anything. It kind of emits the line work and emits the detail a lot. But the fact that the, you've just got the paper texture scanned in yeah. there main, means that there is detail there. And it's not, it's it's not, really, as, it's not as stark as a mm, sort of pure digital yeah, yeah. white. But it's a really fascinating use of kind of implicit negative space. And then when the human... Ca- so it's quite often the, the characters with the colourful hair is quite often splashed against that as a deliberate thing. I dyed my shepherd's hair pink and purple in the last one after having her red for the first two. She mm. looks like a sulky teenager. Mm. Well, she does have a lot a lot resting on her shoulders. She had a lot of problems, but she looked like she was like, no way, man, the whole way through. Yeah, she'd already been dead once. I mean, no, you basically exactly. made Femship roll a girl. Pretty much. Felt pretty good. Yeah. Just shooting some stuff up with my pink hair and my gigantic guns. It's a good time. Yeah. Speaking of good times, armor. Well, sorry, I just want to, like... Finish up. Round up on. Come on. It, there is, there's some, there's a thing that's really bothering me about it, which is partly because it's such a conventional piece of sci-fi, I guess, which is that we get to the planet of the generically evil pig people and it just feels a bit lazy. I suspect that'll go somewhere because everyone everyone who has sort of been presented as reactionary in some way has had, if not a sort of fully understandable backstory, then at least there is a degree of sympathy introduced afterwards in a, an almost sort of procedural way. Yeah, so there's a thing, one of my favourite ever, ever, ever things about Futurama, one of my, and one of my favourite scenes in basically anything, is um, the final episode of the original run with the robot devil just yelling at Fry, you can't have your characters just stand up and announce their feelings. It makes me angry. Um, it's, got a ro- it's got several robot devil fails. It is doing a lot of exposition very fast. Lemire is a much better writer than this when he's going more slowly. So Trillium, Underwater World of various things. He's, I mean... I, could, I initially wondered if he'd drawn it because it looks a bit like his star but different enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Lemire is, is... I think I gave Trillium Best of the Year last year, I think. You did? Um, when he's... He's great at juggling big, weird ideas. He's good at luscious, pulpy sci-fi and bringing the high concept down to a human level. But I think he needs more air, more breathing space. This has so much going yeah. on so fast that some of the writing just gets too compressed. Sweet Tooth felt like a much better speed for a mystery story. Um, because there is, you know, there's there's one or two big reveals per issue here and it does mm. feel a bit rushed. Um, yeah, I agree entirely. This feels like it's going too fast. Um, I mean, sometimes I just stand up and announce what I'm feeling. Yes, but you're not a fictional character. Sometimes it's hungry. Yeah. Sometimes it's hungry. That's also true. Yeah. Heart. Armour. Volume 4. <sighs> yes. Volume 4 of Armour, where everything ends happily and no one ends up with their kidneys on the outside. How did that go? Not like that. Mm. No, I've read Frederick Peters' comics before. That's not how they happen. There's always an external kidney or two. Is this the Frederick Peters that did Blue Pills? Uh, yes, Elephant and 
The one about the crazy time locked beach. Yeah, that sounded horrible. Oh, that one, Sandcastle. Yeah, Sandcastle. That yeah. Yes, no, that thing is so weird and yeah, uncanny. Same dude. Armor ain't less weird. Okay. So, volume one was my pick of the year the first time we did the podcast. Volume two, I decided I wasn't allowed to do it two years running, so I just raved about it. And this year we've had three and four in a bit of a flurry. Bumper crop for you. It's so good. I wrote a review of the first one on the site, and I'll probably do a retrospective if I can pull my finger out my ass. Um, So, I like to describe it as the in-cal we deserve rather than the one we got because the in-cal really gets on my tits um, I think it looks better but even someone that really really loves the way the in-cal looks would be hard pushed to tell me that this didn't at least at least look as good um, quick story backlog guy called Verlock Nim has a whole bunch of shit go wrong with his life gets estranged from his family his brother turns up and drags him along with him on a mission to his brother's like a fixer for a shady future megacorp uh, to recover a scientific expedition that was working on some hokey-ass stuff that sounds like it's the Genesis device from Star Trek, um, where they've lost contact with the colony, all the robots have gone funny, so they go and investigate that, and it turns out that everything's gone proper wrong, and the experiment's loose and some shit's happening, and then weird, squishy, fleshy robot stuff is crawling all over the planet, and horrible, horrible things happen. Verloc gets infected with the weird, squishy robot shit, and that's kind of where we are at the beginning of part four. That was a very unhelpful precy because all sorts of fascinating, intricate stuff happens along the way. Volume three is kind of hallucinatory. It's about him being locked in a dialogue with Armour, the experiment, to do a thing. He keeps encountering things in the form of his daughter. We get a lot of backstory about how it turns out that the evil megacorp has manipulated him, causing not only the fall of his life, but the structure of his relationship such that his daughter would have the kind of genetic profile that she does. And the end game is for Armour, the weird experiment, to merge with his daughter, enabling it to complete itself and kind of force the evolution of humanity. What Armour is is never entirely clear. It's some kind of robotic cellular construct thing that can effectively link humans together in a weird, remoldable, customizable, fleshy hive mind doodad. It's just proper nasty. The art for this is sticky and biological and pulpy and curvy and weird. Peters is the writer's writer and artist, yes. isn't he? And it the is just writist. beautiful. It's sharp. So despite being pulpy and biological all over the shop, the lines are exquisitely sharp. The colours are... It, it, I, the use of very bright colours, very sharply defined colours, is excellent. Volume 4 does this thing where it brings in some weird geometric designs for the transcendental moments, and that works so well. Kind of... Everything's so fluid, but with these very clean lines. And then there are these things, transcendental moments, that some of the characters can't understand, and those are rendered as something that looks kind of like pure digital graphical artifact rendering. It's more... The new aesthetic? More aggressive. Yeah, more aggressively geometric. It does some of that. It's completely from a different visual idiom. Um, I think I'm probably the first person to say new aesthetic in at least two years. It's, it's a beautiful, horrible, wonderful book. Uh, it, it, it gets more and more visually disgusting. As So there's a body horror element, which ramps up through the first and second volumes and the third, and in the fourth, everything's just plain weird. It's not a surprise if you've read some of his other stuff. Sandcastle, for yeah. instance, has strong body horror themes. Yeah, really, really Cronenberg-y. 
But by volume four, it's just become surreal. So Verloc with armor inside him, he's internalized the weird transcendental bio doodad. It bloats out and changes his body. He can bleed into other surfaces. He's basically superhuman. He can manipulate basically anything he touches. He can reconfigure his entire body and those of others turn someone inside out at one point and then puts them back together. Um, and as his mood changes and as he internally fights against armor, kind of stuff grows off his face and his arms elongate and he just kind of bloats about and well, there's a thing on the cover. Yeah, jeez. But it crashes into pure surreal and the colors against the landscape change. It's really exquisitely color-coded. The planet Onaiji that they're on where they find armor has one color code and the city world that they come back to has another and then it starts smooshing together and I just... Fucking hell, this man understands colour. It's one of the most beautiful comics I've read for a very long time. And it's horrible, and it's wonderful. And it's got that insane high concept, mad, batshit, Euro sci-fi thing. Except it's coherent and it hangs together. You can actually tease out some sense. Not all questions are answered, not everything's coherent. But if you're willing to trust in a certain degree of sci-fi tropery, this fits together reasonably coherently and is a satisfying story. Unfinished cadence. It's not totally clear what happens at the end, but... I, I would ask again, who's this for? And who's it not for? I'm going to guess it's for people who like sci-fi who like to really, really pick at things. Yeah. Also talking monkeys. Um, it's got a lot of pulp elements. Mm-hmm. Like... I think it's got a certain amount of mass market sci-fi appeal. The stuff that would draw it away from the mass market isn't particularly intrusive. Okay. Like the psychedelia elements that you get with Mobius Jodorowsky are there, mm-hmm. but not alienating. How um, how body horror is the body horror? Um, so I, I'm worst in volume two. Uh, the stuff I particularly struggle with is like parasites bursting out of flesh, parasites in people stuff. No parasites, some degree of violation by robot. Okay. I, can, I think I can deal with violation by robot. So to give you a specific example, um, there's a reveal in the second volume where we see someone's face and then it turns out to be being oper- having to have just been pulled off and be operating, being be operated as a flesh top all in by some robot bits. Oh god, I saw a truck the other day on the A14 that advertised not only tarps, but tarping systems. Maybe this was that. Whole systems of tarpaulin. Not to be confused with tarpaulin. Not to be confused at all. Who would like to know what I've read? So I read the first issue of Paper Girls by Brian Vaughan and Cliff Chang. And it's quite strange. It's a bit weird. It's, it's a bit strange. Tell me more of this Brian Vaughan. I've heard the name. The Brian Vaughan you will know from the saga... Of course. He is the writer of Saga, which is currently on hiatus. How is it? Um, and I just read the fifth volume in the trade, and even for Saga, there is a page turn that will just make you stop and go, what the fuck? Mm. Even for that comic. Um, it's kind of amazing at the point at which you hit it, and everyone's going to know what I mean. Uh, Except me. Read it. I still haven't read it. I need to grab it. I haven't gone past trade two, to be honest. You guys are the shit. I think I'm on four. You guys are the worst. Sorry. You guys are the, the actual Sorry, worst. Sorry, Dad. And Cliff Chang is probably best known for Wonder Woman, uh, the recent New 52 Wonder Woman. This is going to be my question. Brian Azzarello. Name, um, he's, he's a former assistant editor for DC Comics. Mm. So he's done a ton of stuff for them, but not really much anywhere else. And he sort of, in terms of art, he's jumped in and out. 
on a lot of DC stuff, Wonder Woman's the only sort of real big sustained run mm. that he's done, and even then, victim of DC editorial policy, where, you know, if it doesn't look like it's going to be on time, you just get someone else. How do you feel about how Paper Girls looks? I really like the look of it. How does um, it look? Tell us how it looks. It... So, it does a couple of things. Um, the first, like, it's really, really heavy on colour. It's The first issue is mostly set at night on Halloween. It's a lot of broody purple. Um, and it does night, colour at night, really, really well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, yeah, a lot of broody purple, a lot of sort of Just pale flesh. Just to yeah. kind of cut through, it's, um, it's set at Halloween in 1988. Okay. So it's got a lot of the 80s, paranoia, 80s, cultural concern stuff. And there's a lot of TV trope stuff feeding into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that nighttime vibe works really nicely. And then when it does other things, which I don't want to ruin, it uh, it does some really interesting thing with big flashes of colour mm-hmm. and some some. So the the teaser text gets us far enough that I feel it's we don't really have a spoiler policy, but no, I don't mind spoiling things that have been sloshing around a while. But since this came out yesterday <laughs> and will have been like at most a week by the time this hits. It's an unusually hot take for us. So it's described as something like on Halloween 1988 a team of paper girls discover something that'll change their lives forever and it's billed as sci-fi so we know it's going to be maybe spacey maybe alien-y but certainly weird. It looks Spielberg-y. It's got a sort of. It can hang a certain degree of its hat off. It's, stand by me. It's definitely Spielberg-y because it's set in a small suburban town with lots of people on bikes. And the possibility of alienage. Yeah, but the final few panels of it are just. It's a really nice. I would argue too smug and probably a bit wanky, but it does work. What the fuck moment? Mm-hmm. They discover a bunch of weird sci-fi shit. And you think that's the big moment. And it looks a bit like there are, like I don't know, aliens or weird dudes or monsters or something in their neighbourhood. And In Halloween costumes. In Halloween costumes. What, the aliens and monsters? Or the yeah, kids? they're in okay. Halloween costumes. Or they're, they're dressed the same and they look like kind of crappy mummy costumes or something. They may not be Halloween costumes. It's the 80s, they're ninjas. They're certainly blaggable as Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. Um... They have a, an encounter, one might even say a fracas, with the, uh, the sci-fi creatures. We don't really know what they are. Uh, we're invited to guess, but it's not made explicit. The sci-fi creatures run off, basically because a bunch of 12-year-old paper girls beat the shit out of them with hockey sticks. Mm. Uh, there, is a, there is a diatribe about how them taking over paper rounds from the boys is, is kind of their version of women's lib in mm-hmm. that society which is quite interesting it's not as explicit as that but mm-hmm. it's not basically them um, yeah getting out there earning some money for themselves yeah, yeah. one of the Freedom slightly older meaner kids is one of the first uh, first paper girls in the area and she's slightly revered for it and you get the impression that it's gone all like the, the paper round is now a girl gang yeah, yeah. I really like that That's element great. of it actually probably more than the sci-fi yeah I don't think it's going to be the focus. No. Well, it might be, though. Because the weird, the weird pseudo-twist at the end where the might-be-aliens might be something else, critters run off, um, and then there's a, a thing. It, it's such a what-the-hell, and it does feel a bit smug, and it's not necessarily going to date well, but my God, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it... I mean, 
I thought it was a strong first issue. I really like the variety of things that Brian K. Vaughan's writing at the moment. I mean, he's always done sort of, he's always done quite a variety around sort of sci-fi tropes. Mm -hmm. Like he was doing Ex Machina, I think, at the mm -hmm. same time as he was writing Why the Last Man. Um, I think this is going to have a whole lot of laudable um, stuff in it. So there's almost certainly going to be an eco angle, yes. at least a quiet one. The I think there's going to be a kind of there is one in We Stand on Guard as well. There's sort of implied that the future war is all about America running out of water. Mm. I think it's going to be middle-aged, middle-class white dude tries to do a nice feminism thing, and we'll see how well he does. But popcorn. Yeah, I mean he's he's not bad. Like, for your well-intentioned white dude does feminism, he's got mm -hmm, roughly mm -hmm. the same hit rate as Joss Whedon, which is to say, not a hundred percent. Categorically not a hundred percent. Spotty, but, but not the worst. Yeah. And the sure. Paper Girls thing, like, oh, well, you were a trailblazer, the girl gang were kind of... It, it, bits of it are on the nose, bits of it are grotty, but it does kind of work, and the characters have distinct voices, they're actual of, people. A lot of young women being written by... Dudes at the moment. That's yeah. I wonder if that's a thing. Is that a cultural moment? Maybe. And I, I don't. Is it? Is it an, an acknowledgement that women are a market now, but male creators are still predominantly? I don't know. Yeah. So I, don't I, know I would this. expect publishing houses to call pipeline problem mm. in the same way that the tech sector does. But yeah, there's. I mean, it's 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 pipeline problem in that it's not that there aren't. Um, I'm not defending that for a second. I think it's a bullshit there. argument. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things where there's no right answer. Mm -hmm. The comics industry is horrible in a lot of ways to women. There are that thing recently. a lot of quiet problems about people who, like, essentially men who are serial abusers being protected. Mm. As, you know, Janelle Asselin's uh, recent article mm. um, pointed out, one, one in particular, a dark horse. Yes. Um, and the implication is that there's a lot there there's a lot that's very similar but getting people to go on the record is very hard because mm -hmm. it's far more career limiting to be a woman who speaks out than it is to be a man who is abusive and a turd because everything's proper fucked yeah it always has been much more career and life limiting to be a victim of some kind of assault like that than it has been to be a rapist mm. which is problematic oh, and yeah. It can put people off the industry and, <laughs> yeah, because the industry protects its own. And I feel like we're a long way away from addressing that, but I do feel like we're at a point where progress is being made at addressing women as a market, and I'm very embarrassed that capitalism is being more progressive than our humans. Oh, capitalism's always the most progressive thing. If you can make money out of it, they're going to diversify. That's, that's the thing that speaks, that's the thing that pushes progress in directions. It's not whether or not it's the right thing yeah. or the moral thing to do. It's can we fucking market this shit and make some money out of it. God, it's exhausting. Sorry, I've taken us down one of my personal... No, no. Well, it's fine. This is a useful launching point for that, that discussion. Mm. Um, and I do think Paper Girls has some as as a tremendously privileged white man I think Paper Girls has a reasonable rendition of women but I don't like I'd be curious to see the take of someone with different chromosomes it's not a sexy lamp 
that it does not feel like a sexy lamp. It's not some hands and a broom. What it does feel potentially... Hey, that wasn't a woman, that was a Nazi fooling device. A Nazi fooling device intended to look like a woman. True. A facsimile of a woman. Those were some fucking sexy hams. Do you know what? I was at a, I was at a conference. That's one of the reasons I was not here for the last podcast. And um, one of the things that we were asked to do was was write a haiku in 20 seconds about Wonder Woman. Would you like to hear mine? Not particularly, but go on. Was this a writing workshop or something? Yes. I want some okay. fucking context. Was this the writing workshop? It was, it was, it was about, it was about telling stories in, in the work that you do. You have rendered up the context. You may now deliver your haiku. My haiku, which was, bear in mind this was written in 20 seconds. It's also, it's uh, National Poetry Day today. It is National Poetry Day while we're recording this. I muted this, so. the shit out of that hashtag. God, me too. My, my haiku was, Amazonian, once fooled Nazis using ham. That was pretty strange. <laughs> That's my Wonder Woman haiku. You probably had to explain that to a lot of people. I didn't have to read it out loud, but if I, you know, if I'd had to, I would have been a hundred percent behind that. You not, already had not Nazi just as slides prepared. You know, not just as a, as a reference to Wonder Woman and the slightly strange history of that character. Everyone's feeling but also, you know, is Nazi ham guy going to be there this year? Mm-hmm. I think as as a piece of art that really stands by itself. So Paper Girls was good. With caveats, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It looks good. It It's promising. Just to briefly go back to the sexy lamp thing, although I don't think it's quite sexy lamp. I do think it might be generic teen. Mm, yes, that would be what I would worry about more than sexy lamp in the context you've just described. There's a fighty one. There's a rich one. There's an unsure one. It's the babysitter's club, except they're Paper Girls and some weird sci-fi shit. Probably. Yeah, and also they'd be a guy with a stick. Yeah. It, it is, well... Actually, it's the Chekhov. just did that too. It's Chekhov's hockey stick. You meet one, the one with the hockey stick in a backpack that never references the hockey stick, and they're all a bit feisty, and you're thinking, there's no way she doesn't beat a man to death with that by the end of this comic, and by the end of the comic she has at least roundly twatted someone around the chops with it. And, and here we were, all of us thinking that Chekhov never played hockey. <laughs> Shocking. And that has been recent comics. So we we were asked on Twitter uh, what's what's a good way of getting into Marvel and DC in particular the big continuity heavy company comics when you don't really know where to start when the continuity is kind of oppressive um, how do you do that so I think Lucy doesn't really read those comics but Lucy doesn't ask us questions and we'll try and try and navigate our way towards a useful framework for reading those. I have, a, I have a thing about this as well, that one day I will shape into a long rambling essay, but the degree to which you use the context that you choose to embed in your comics tells you a lot about like It's not just an accessibility thing, there's good and bad use of context. Mm-hmm. And some, so the, uh, the Mona Lisa Doctor Doom thing. That was tremendous. You made a point that you guys understood, but not that I understood. Yeah, yeah exactly. isn't that really good? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm doing my job. There's a there's a wonderful frame in a recent um, recent issue two years ago, I think. FF, which is the slightly goofy Fantastic Four spin-off mm-hmm. that Matt which Fraction is did. One of the things I would probably suggest as a as a starting yeah. point, um, where there's a picture of Doctor Doom on which um, Ant Man, I think, yeah, scrawls a moustache, and it's a reference to. Um, 
Duchamp's LHNQQ. Yep. And my point about that is it's a comic that is jump onable mm-hmm. that uses a smug modernist art reference to make fun of Doctor Doom, mm-hmm. like explicitly. To get the full of that joke, you need to know a certain amount of things about what Marcel Duchamp was doing in 1920-something. However, you can still get the joke, because he's drawn a fucking silly moustache on Doctor Doom. And also, the entire comic is an elaborate heist, for the, the performance of which is a discussion about how the character is motivated by the death of his daughter. Um, it introduces his friends and his place in the world. And he constructs sort of nano machinery to allow him to complete this heist. And then it turns out that all he wants to do is draw a pink, pink moustache on Doctor Doom to call him a twat. Yeah. And what that does with the wanky art continuity is what I see as being like, like, like working well with continuity, drawing in just enough but leaving it available. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the things that I have succeeded with the most from this quite broad category have been the things where so there are always going to be this stuff's always going to be packed with a bunch of references that you're going to get if you know the other stuff and you're not if you don't but for me there's a distinction between stuff that is just mostly that and stuff that is has some of that sprinkled in there but it's accessible so things like Squirrel Girl and Young Avengers that Mm. I haven't needed nearly as much context for have been much more accessible And you know, with Squirrel Girl, you don't need much. With Young Avengers, it explains the little you do need. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas Journey into Mystery, which is one of the bits of continuity that you arguably could need for Young Avengers, I think is, despite being great, is really bad at showing its working and telling you enough about the continuity to interpret it if you don't have it. It is quite tricky. I think in part that's because it, again, is a victim of comics continuity and that it had to tie into various crossover events and so on. So do you, want to, do you want to hear my overarching theory on this? Carry on. Most of these comics are fucking garbage. Um, Spurgeon's law, motherfucker. Most of them are written for really Spurgeon's short law. runs by teams that have just been assigned and don't really care. They're tugged this way narr- and that narratively because they are tied into these big events. Um, and so they have to get to a certain point for a crossover or they stop the main story for a couple of months and jump into this crossover. And it just doesn't make them satisfying stories. Mm-hmm. If you just, if you want to accrete canon, then great, you can do that. You can build story upon story upon story, and you won't have anything that resembles a satisfying narrative. But you will have a thing that continues for seventy-five years. That is some people's jam. I think yeah, it must it be is. because they fucking buy this shit and get super pissy when you change it. So what I would suggest for someone who's getting into this now and this probably wouldn't have worked 10 years ago but it works now because people know artists from other things go to the people you like Mm -hmm. go to the people you like from other stuff because so many people now do a few indie books they get picked up by Marvel or DC they build up their fan base they do one of the fringe runs yeah yeah there are so many people that you will have encountered elsewhere Um, you will come across them from series from image for example look up what they're doing um, you'll probably enjoy their superhero comics too. They're still good writers, they're still good artists. Yeah, it's it's not a bad heuristic that if someone's got an image book you like, their most recent thing for Marvel, it's usually Marvel, it's usually um, Marvel, might, has a chance of being accessible. So, 
I mean, for example, Edbury Baker. Mm. Um, Edbury Baker wrote a really continuity-heavy um, run on Captain America before he quit Marvel altogether and went and sort of became image exclusive. Um, Which is a weird concept. It is, but, you know, they've actually signed him to a contract, which is really super odd because the way their stuff works. But if you like Ed Brubaker's writing, for example, or if you like Matt Fraction's writing, or if you like Kieran Gillen's writing, the stuff in the stuff that they've done that you're familiar with, look at the Marvel stuff. You'll probably enjoy it, and a short amount of time on Wikipedia won't hurt you when you need to pick up little bits and pieces elsewhere. But I would like to avoid that, because... Anything where you have to do your homework to fundamentally enjoy it isn't always satisfying. That's not always what you want. So you can always read standalones. You could read Batman Year One. But how do you know when they're coming? That's the thing. Like, how do you know which ones are standalones? Knowing how they're coming is, is another thing altogether. I don't yeah. know how many Batmans there are. I don't know who's done any There's of them. I don't know how the story intersects. Batman. I don't know what any of them are going to look like. I don't know what, how, which ones I'm going to enjoy or not. Which ones are standalone stories? Which ones are part of continuity? And I have no way, really, of knowing that. It's not easy to find yeah. out from the outside. And the fucking trades are a shit show. Like, they don't label... Mm-hmm. So some of them don't even label stuff in order. Yeah. I found this with Daredevil. Trades numbered one through whatever, but that's just so-and-so's run. Yep. So I'm... On one level, complete historical numbering, numbering would be useful. On another level, story arc numbering would be... This is a really hard problem, right? The information architecture here is probably is. fucked. Well, your information's a problem. Yeah. So, Hellblazer ran, the original run, 300 issues. DC, last year, started numbering the trades, which contain about five issues each. So another that's, that's thing genuinely is, difficult. how the hell are you going to afford this shit? How do you know where to spend your money well when you could buy... If there's 300 of them and there's five per trade? If you really wanted to get into it, grab digital when there are sales on Comixology. Yeah. If you're just dipping in, get a, get a single arc mm-hmm. on Comixology, like one to five. Or they, they do bundle them as trades when they're on sale. That's a really good way of finding things that you want to read. So just... Keep an eye out on the sales, sign up for the newsletter, whatever, and look at those when they get cheap. Mm-hmm. Because that way you've only blown about three quid, and if you like it, you can go and find out what the continuation is. I can't so, I can't speak strongly to DC because I've read massively more Marvel. But there are kind of... there are. There's also sort of... What type of thing would you like to read? What I'm going to advance here is not completely consistent, but mm-hmm. there are families of their storytelling. The Marvel stuff, in particular, is it's it's pretty much all in the same universe, but there are contained pockets. You've got the kind of street level, so superheroes solving crimes, doing stuff. You've got the big. Who are weird, those guys? Say some names. Um, so that's so it's it's sometimes everyone, but it's most strongly Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil, Spider Knight, and all of the Marvel Knights characters, which mm-hmm. was a. Short run thing for adults in the mid two thousands, which you wouldn't know if you hadn't spent time yeah, reading exactly. this stuff. So Daredevil, Spider Man, Moon Knight, probably the the big proponents there. Um, big weird cosmic shit, which is your kind of Guardians of the Galaxy, but occasionally the X Men, mm-hmm. um, Doctor Strange, arguably anything with the Silver Surfer in it. Kind of big strange cosmic. Do love some Silver Surfer. Um, you've got archetypal superhero hijinks. Mm-hmm. Captain America, the Avengers, all of that jazz. 
And then a separate family of archetypal superhero hijinks, which sometimes does street level, which sometimes does other stuff, which might as well, although it's all connected, might as well be its own continuity, which is ah, X-Men. Mm-hmm. So I think if you've got an idea of what you want, talk to friends who read more. That's always going to be a good way of finding out about things. Um, look to the writers that, that you enjoy and jump in knowing that you're not going to understand everything because at best there is 50 years of continuity. But let's nail some fucking colours, right? Let's pick mm. some things that we would actually suggest might not be bloody alienating. Well, also, I want Hawkeye. to throw out there as an option. You just don't have to care about oh, it. Oh, fuck I yeah, don't. no. No, no, really? you, you don't have to, but if you did want to. I True, think that's, but the, that's yeah, what we're working yeah. on here. You, are, you, you absolutely do not have to. But there's also a separate grade of don't have to. Mm-hmm. There's, there's ignore this shit entirely. And there's also the well-written stuff. You can, if you like that type of book, you can just read without having to know the context. This, which is mostly what I've done. When you guys have told me stuff is particularly good and particularly accessible, mm. I will dip in. And some stuff is damn fine for that. Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Squirrel, Girl's Squirrel Girl. Great. It's got jokes about Galactus, but all you need to know about Galactus is what it tells you, which is that he's a billion feet tall and eats planets. Yeah. I have just learned, like, 100% more about Galactus than I ever knew before. I think you get enough context from Squirrel Girl and the way that it's written to know that he's not normally presented in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would so say... He's not necessarily a chipmunk. I would say Hawkeye. Fraction Hawkeye. Yeah, Fraction, Fraction Hawkeye. Frawkeye. Frawkeye. Uh, Ellis Moon Knight. Yep, very much written as a standalone. So, well, everything we've just called Particularly out... Particularly if you like Warren Ellis. Yeah. Mm. Everything we've just called out are comparatively recent, last year or two, or... I, I'd add Batman Year One, mm. which is older. The, the Marvel ones we've just picked out are creators that are quite friendly to jumping on stories, creators that are very good at crafting a contained story, being given a short run on an established character and deciding not to do the established stuff. Mm-hmm. So the Ellis Shelby Moon Knight. Yeah. It opens with a two-paragraph intro that gives you a very flippant precy of the history mm-hmm. of Moonlight, which was basically, blah, blah, weird gods went mad, came back to life. Mm-hmm. Here's what happened next. Very Ellis trope. Something, something, something. Here's what happened after that, where the final something is bloody horrible. Mm-hmm. And it, it tells you a nice set of self-contained stories. The fraction Hawkeye has the same trope, which is Hawkeye is de dum de dum de dum here's, here's what happens when he's not doing that. Mm-hmm. And the, the here's what happens when they're not doing that books are great intros to the characters that duck the continuity issue. And yeah. if you can find one of those, you get all the juice with none of the fuckage. Mm-hmm. So one thing I would call out that is continuity heavy but is a great introduction to that continuity mm. is Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk. Oh, yes. Because it just dives into all of the weird shit the Marvel Universe has accreted over the years. And crams it all into a law office. Metavac Fishman and I can't remember, mm. but I mean it has the it has ridiculous sci-fi tropes like Awesome Andy, um, the uh, who was formerly the Awesome Android uh, of nineteen sixties Marvel comics. The premise here is um, that She-Hulk, most of what you need is in the name, mm-hmm. is also basically Ally McBeal. Okay, single female lawyer fighting for her clients, clients, wearing sexy miniskirts and being self-reliant. That's exactly what this is. Okay. But it's really funny. um, And her job is to do the legal tidy up of the stupid shit that superheroes do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it, it just does some really dumb jokes and it's really fantastic. But it introduces so much of the weird shit from... Uh, Marvel Comics and it's got a particular love of when Marvel was trying to be really 
subversive in the 70s. Um, so a lot of stuff like Howard the Duck and Dr. Bong and characters that are just... Dr. Like, Bong! He's got That's a giant bell for a head. He's, his arm is a hammer and he hits his head to stun people. Right. And he needs legal advice. Right. It's an amazing comic and it's an amazing way to just sort of go straight off the deep end, mm-hmm. but in a really fun way where you don't have you don't you don't have to know all of this stuff before, but it's there and it's there in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And it pays dividends to the fans at the same time as being broadly accessible. Yeah. I mean you you don't need to have read all of Spider Man to understand that when he's sat in court facing down some man who fucking hates him and he says the reason that guy doesn't like me is because I'm black, you know that that's taking the piss. And you know that that's him trying to get away with whatever he fucking can. Because you probably know who Spider-Man is. Um, Do I have to mention Miles Gonzalez at this point? I was going to say. It was earlier. It was earlier. But yeah. It was a different time for Spider-Man. It was a different time for Spider-Man. There was only one Spider-Man. There was only one Hawkeye at the time. Not Spider-Man. No. No. So there's, there's that. There's... There have been various attempts as well to make it more approachable, but every single one of them has gone off the rails. So Marvel... <laughs> in what way? So Marvel did the... We might end up getting in a fight on this one, but Marvel did the Ultimates, which was not a reboot. It was, fuck it, let's pretend that we're starting from scratch with the same characters and same ideas, tell the same stories in a more modern way. Let's. So rather than doing... Redo the, the first yeah. 50 years. Peter so Parker is a web designer. Uh, it's a good joke. No. So this this wasn't let's reboot the X Men in the main franchise. It was let's find let's start. Let... What if it all started in two thousand and two? Mm-hmm. Is basically the setup. Yeah, and it was for the first year or two. It was really tight. Um, it didn't let too much of the continuity stuff in. Mm-hmm. It didn't do too much fan service. It segregated some stuff as well. So Ultimate Spider Man was street level yucks. X Men was fairly pared back. It didn't have any of the magic. No, nothing had the magic. The X-Men stuff didn't have too much of the cosmic shit. It was the cosmic shit and the weird sci-fi was in the Fantastic Four reboot. Mm-hmm. It kept it really clean. But over time, they just couldn't resist doing the nod, nod, wink, wink continuity stuff. Because when you're doing a, a tabula rasa kind of, we'll bring in the continuity stuff slowly but retell it more sensibly, it's hard to duck the jokes. So they did all this mm-hmm. stuff with Sinister and Apocalypse, which mm-hmm. was funny if you'd read it, and still made sense. But this just gradually got more and more diluted and more and more bullshit. I think the main problem is that they did a really tight run on a very small number of books which sold fantastically. And then they brought in some fucking terrible writers. Yes, they did. Who tanked the whole thing in a year and then they had to kill it. Um, I think it's really telling that now if you set up um, an interview with Jeff Loeb, he will not talk about Ultimatum, which is the book that basically finished it off. It limped along for a few more years, but it basically finished it. Um, and that's the problem with... The so, consequently, sun. I would not recommend The Ultimates as a jump on. No. Um, the first couple of years worth of... So I would recommend Ultimate X-Men as a way of getting into X-Men continuity if you want to read the rest of the X-Men, because it's just a quicker way to introduce yourself to that shit. I'd, but I'd, then you'll be disappointed, because the mainstream X-Men characters often aren't as interesting as the Ultimate ones. I'd also recommend um, The Ultimates as a funny but really glib take on The Avengers. I mean, it gets a few of the characters just genuinely badly wrong for the sake of jokes, but why not? You can do that if you just want to take the piss. 
I've, I've recommended both Frank Miller and Mark Miller today, and that is a genuinely horrifying that. situation for me. I'm going to have to go and scrub my tongue. So, thing. drink some Miller Lite. We've, oh. Let's look. I've, I'm not going for all three. Fair. So, you mentioned Batman Year One, mm-hmm. and there's that weird, there's that really cool Catwoman thing hanging off it. There's Long Halloween. Is that Wayne, Wayne um, Rose, not Wayne Rose, there's, there's, there's a Catwoman short that's very, that's, um, anyway. Never mind. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of Catwoman in Year One, and then there's a lot of it in Long Halloween as well. That carries on directly really from Halloween. it. I really like Long Halloween. Yeah, but just no. Why not? Okay, so Batman Year One is a sort of reboot. Um, yeah, it's a sort the, of line in the sand. Similar to the Nolan movies, it's not how do we tell a Batman story. It's how do we create a world that has Batman as emergent consequence, mm-hmm. and that exercise makes it a good way of Batmaning. Mm-hmm. The problem is that once you've now, not unlike the Ultimates, you've now got a new base point. Mm-hmm. And you can start telling the old stories with the old characters and the stuff on top of it. And it just gets weirder and weirder and less accessible. So Long Halloween comes after Batman Year One. Batman Year One is a nice start-off story. Fights organised crime, yada, yada, yada. Organised crime? Yeah. It's, it's less superheroes. It's less supervillains. It's more fundamental. It looks great. Long Halloween is set shortly after that. Nominally with the crime syndicates, but it keep, it bring it's really long. It's it, it, they're not kidding about the length of that Halloween. That uh, it, it's, <laughs> it is a particularly long Halloween. I mean, mostly they're just a day, but a this very one long is, Halloween. This one is six hundred pages, and wow. it is sort of a fun, theoretically quite tight serial killer story. But they can't quite resist the temptation to bring in the rogues gallery, and they can't really explain it, and they don't really do it very well. And mm-hmm. It just, it ends up, I think it ends up quite hard to follow in the final This is one of the problems I've had with nearly all of the Batmans that I've tried. It just feels like the creators have some kind of investment in the continuity and they want to cram as much adjacent Batmanage into the Batman as Mm. possible, which makes it a worse experience for me as a reader. And at least half of the Batman villains are horrendous unkilled darlings. I'm sorry that I said adjacent Batmanage. I enjoyed it. There's a load of stuff recently that expanded the mythos and um, it was garbage. Despite being written Didn't by generally competent people, I well, know. I mean it's I it's hard. The police one was all right, wasn't it? What? Oh, Gotham Central. I'm yeah. talking much more recent. I mean, sort of Court of Owls and the New Fifty Two stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which I really thought was quite bad. But I don't read Batman day to day or week on week. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I I would as as the advice that I would give, which is follow the writers that you like if you're looking to get into something and then expand from there, try and go more directed from there, is exactly the same thing I would say if I was just, how do you read this shit if you have taste? Mm-hmm. So, Batman's not good day to day. It's not fun. But you might like some of the people who write it. There's no inherent good to doing all of the Batman yourself. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason to read 75 years worth of Batman or 50 years worth of Spider-Man. I mean, this is one of the things that... Um, one of the questions Roger was asking earlier when we were talking about this was, for me, what are the obstacles to getting into it? And one of them is that not knowing this shit... It Basically, it just makes me feel stupid. It makes me feel stupid to try. It makes me feel stupid mm-hmm. to not know. It makes me feel like a fake geek girl. I mean, it's why I very consciously gravitated towards the Indian sad side of comics when I started doing this shit because I could make that my thing I understood it and I didn't have to go near the other things that made me feel stupid and inferior and you've missed the square root of tossle you've basically saved yourself reading a lot of bad comics (laughs) it's not that there isn't good Batman it's not there isn't good X-Men but it's just harder to find it's not all good it's just harder to find 
And so much of the continuity is bollocks. One of my favourite things is reading Wikipedia summaries of heavy comics continuity, because boiled down in the really bad writing style of most Wikipedia articles, it exposes the absolute fuckwittery of the plotting. Total inanity. Yeah. So, I mean... It turned out to be so-and-so's father, and then came back from the dead as such-and-such, unbeknownst to something boy. You would... You're fucking Proust. You would really struggle to find any other form of storytelling that's been brilliant for 50 years. That's true. I mean, Doctor Who is probably the only other thing that's been going for that long. Maybe General Hospital. Um, so while I would say that there's plenty of good writing out there, and yes, it's very hard to find, telling a story for 50 years is not conducive to good storytelling. As is richly evidenced by how bad a lot of Doctor Who is. Sure. It's really difficult to... to... Stories don't take that form. They don't. No. There's a reason that so many people stick to a three-act structure. It's because it works, it's comprehensible. Otherwise it's it sags in the middle things. and like 48 years is a very long middle. But I feel like we're cheating. How do you feel like right. we're cheating? We're not wrong. You don't have to care about the continuity. You can jump in and ignore it. Um, you can find the segregated series that put good writers on the characters and duck the continuity, etc., etc. There are lots of ways of solving this problem by acknowledging the fact that it's not a problem and you can ignore it. But some people do want an in. Some people find it appealing. I think there are actual comics we could recommend that do represent a good in. Yes. I, so I was really trying to talk about a method hmm. for that. And if you know people, follow them. Otherwise, sure, you need a friend I, or you need some sort of guide. But we can also give conscience. a short reading list, right? We can give a short reading list, yeah. And there is some value to that, I would like. Like, for example, on the DC side, most of the All-Star stuff, particularly the All-Star Superman, is a really nice, sketchy, retro-y... What does All-Star mean? Because it's a word I hear... What's the concept? It was a term DC had for bringing in hot shit writers and artists, like fan Mm favourites, to do sort of standalone runs. On popular characters. On popular characters. So... It's still the standalone thing that I criticised us for, but... um, I think it gets a bit more involved in the soul of the thing. So, yeah, absolutely. I, it does. Um, don't read All-Star Batman and Robin because it's fucking garbage. But All-Star Superman is great. It's All-Star Superman is the absolute essence of Superman as a character, and it's amazing. As is, again, guilty of the thing I criticised us for, Red Sun. Um, as, in fact, is... Um, what da- is Red Sun? Um, imagine if he'd landed in communist Russia, not McCarthyist America. Superman? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's not I'm just. I'm just trying to, to make you guys sorry, say the words. Say the so, words so, so the people know what we're talking about. Um, All Star Superman. It's Frank Quietly as well, isn't it? All Star Superman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly. It's the the dream team. Is a beautifully drawn set of pulpy back to basics Superman as a all American superhero story, and at a roughly similar time, I think I'm wrong about this. It feels like a similar time to me, but much of them because I read them. You also got Red Sun, mm-hmm. which is Sun with an O or the U. Uh, with an, an O, o but mm. that's. I got yeah. that there was a pun, yeah, but I didn't yeah. know which way around it was. Sorry, it's it's the child way around. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman lands in the Kent's all-American backyard in Middle America and learns all-American values and becomes an all-American superhero. Yada yada yada. Or he crash lands in communist Russian farmland and becomes the hero of the revolution. A Soviet Superman. And enables Soviet steel. Enables Soviet global dominance. And Lex Luthor as the arch capitalist has to do something about it. Hmm. 
And so, but even that can't resist disappearing up its arse and doing a lot of Batman stuff. Yeah, um, it sort of it sort of does that thing where all of these characters have to be expressed in some way. I would say a better um, better sort of faux historical mm. is Darwin's Cook. Darwin Cook's DC: The New Frontier, mm, mm. which sets basically sort of sets the origin of superheroes in the Cold War. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, it looks starts in the Korean War. It looks beautiful because it's Darwin Cook. His stuff is just beautiful, um, and it um, it basically sort of gives you a very good rundown of who these characters are, what they're like, and each issue focuses on sort of two separate characters from. DC Comics in the past, so you'll have like an opening one, which is half the sort of the the Black Hawks, which are an old sort of World War Two fighter jet um, set of characters. They were ace pilots, mm-hmm. or the and and uh, sort of the original Suicide Squad. Um, and then you have half of that issue, which is um, Martian Manhunter, and then it's sort mm-hmm. of there'll be like a Batman bit and a Wonder Woman bit and a Superman bit, mm-hmm. and the entire thing is sort of bringing in the continuity of DC Comics into this one single story in the in the early sixties, late fifties. I can't remember when the Korean late fifties, I think. And it's it's great. It's fantastic. Um, mm, it is. And this it's a and that gives you a little a little continuity springboard and explains as it goes. And it is not not wink wink, but. In the same way that, say, Doctor Who used the Ice Warriors and the Revival, right? It, it, sorry, that was a bad example. Um, it's a very good example of when we're not comprehensible, though. Yeah. Um, it tells you enough as it goes. Mm-hmm. So the fans get a little extra, but they don't... There's a difference between the fans having... The people, be, the fans that are in the know, being super clued in people, having exclusive access to the meaning mm-hmm. versus getting something extra. Yeah. And I'm fine with them getting something extra, but I, I'm not fine with Sprinkles exclusive Sprinkles on access. top versus a fan sandwich. Yeah. Knock yourself out with sprinkles. Mm. Nobody wants the fan sandwich. The bread is kind of dry. Yeah. And self-righteous. So what about the Marvel side? Um, well, how about we, we just each reel off a few? Does that... Yep. So I would absolutely say Bendis Daredevil, if you want some Daredevil, but also an introduction to just good superheroing. Yeah, it sort of plays out a late point in Daredevil and the Kingpin's relationship, mm-hmm. but I think it also recaps it well. Yeah. I don't know about Spider-Man. I'll leave that one to you. Um, X-Men is X-Men is crazy hard because all of their continuity is such a mess, and they are X-Men is one of the worst offenders for rambling, time traveling, dependent on oh god, oh god, oh god, just fuck off. Um, I would say watch the cartoon. Yes, actually, Uh, because that compresses all of the stupid continuity, elides some of the nonsense. Yeah, fuck it. Watch the cartoon. Also, you'll never get the theme tune out of your head ever, ever, ever. That or there's the Wedden and Quietly Run, which is a little bit continuity dependent, but I would argue excessively so. Yeah. Um, it's Wedden and Cassidy. Cassidy, sorry, Cassidy. Um, oh, which God, is it looks good. Astonishing X Men. Yeah. Um, some of the continuity stuff is inscrutable, I guess. It explains it. It mostly goes off it on its own to. place, I think. It mostly goes off on its, in its own way. And I mean, I think even the most casual reader is going to get a lot of the stuff like, why are we dressing in new costumes when mm. everyone was really tired of seeing us in black leather? Yeah, but what it doesn't explain is why some other people are doing some of the things they're doing, and that is kind of pivotal. The core thing, the core thing is the relationship between Colossus and Kitty Pride, and that yeah. it does explain. Well, why is Professor X 
sat on a deserted island that has a Cthulhu robot in the bay. Maybe. Uh, now, now I think. Oh, about it does it. have Cassandra Nova in. Yeah. Which now is I think about it, it's actually not a good idea. Massively continuity heavy. Yeah. No, don't read that. I mean, do because it's gorgeous, but ignore the thing I said about it being accessible. Um, no, it's really hard coming on with a jump on for the X Men. Mm. I think you just have to take the continuity as a sunk cost and feel your way through, or go with Ultimate. I, I, the only familiarity I have with it is X Men First Class. Not which a bad, I enjoyed. Not a bad way to start. It's a actually. good movie. You could they have the advantage of being able to craft coherent stories mm-hmm. um, I would say, from I would, yeah. the best bits of the existing Fuck comics. It. Watch the movies or the cartoons and then grab some and see if you like it. Don't don't watch X-Men 3. Don't tell people to watch X-Men I 3. I didn't. You said the movies. No, that doesn't exist. It was explicitly excised from continuity by first class. Uh, Sorry, by Days of Teacher Past. Yeah. This is true. Um, Which is exactly the kind of wanky bullshit that you'll just learn to love when you read X-Men. No, I won't. I, I can't think of a good Spider-Man. Um, so there's a, re- a sort of retro one called Spider-Man Blue, which uh, is Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, mm-hmm. built back when Jeff Loeb could write, um, which is about sort of the early days of his career and the death of Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. and his retrospective on that, um, which I thought was really quite good. Um, and there's Hulk Grey in the same series. There's three of them. There's um, Hulk Grey, which is uh, an origin story that is based around deciding to change ink colours a couple of issues into the run of Hulk. Um, but they explain it away pretty well. Um, Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow, which is the sort of origin story of Daredevil. They've just been collected into a big giant hardback, which is really nice. So they're all low up in sale, um, and I think those are really good. Okay. Would you recommend any of the movies? I'd recommend the Daredevil TV show, certainly. Yeah, that's a really Um, good rendition of that character. I mean, I think all of the Marvel movies have been varying degrees of success, but they've all been really good at posing them as very much their own thing and taking good bits out of the existing continuity. Mm -hmm. So they're very much not the same thing. Some of them are vastly different, Mm -hmm. but they're all great at what they do for the most part. On no account, ever, 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 try and get an introduction to Marvel from my favourite ever Marvel comic. Which is? Do not start with Next Wave. No. No. No, that's just a series of in-jokes. But maybe there's there's a possibly apocryphal tale about a teacher putting a bunch of Gary Larson cartoons on the wall at the beginning of a biology class. And then sort of getting people to revisit them throughout the year and seeing which one they understood and found funny. So maybe as you go through your... Your Marvel education, you should reread the first issue of Next Wave every three months and see how much of it you get. If you get to the point where you actually know who the fuck Forbush Man is, congratulations. Worry. Send Bravo. in your answer on a postcard, we'd yeah. love to hear. Just and if you know how, if you get to the point where you know how Forbush Man relates to a joke version of a very early version of the DC character Red Tornado, then you have gone off the deep end. Then you should probably run a comics podcast. Yeah. This is brain wanking. This is terrible. Mm. This is terrible. It's not a good scene and we're not good dudes. Not good people. But anyway, that's your homework. Find out how Red Tornado started. But not if you don't want to. No, you don't have to. Not if you don't want to. No, we're not going to say you. It's it's a lot like people occasionally... I've occasionally been asked, oh, well, how do I... like? I'd like to use Twitter because I hear it's good, but it just seems intimidating because there's all this stuff. And it quite... It doesn't seem to... occur to some people that you just don't have to read your timeline. Just jump in. It it's, is by its nature ephemeral. It's not Ignore an archive. It. 
I know there's a theory missing out thing, but there is. I mean, comics are ephemeral as well. These these comics in particular, because these are a commercial property designed to make money as often as possible. And Story it doesn't t- matter what happens to the narrative yeah. in the in the in the goal of making. They don't. Money. They don't want to lose. I mean, the best way to do it is to tell a good story and keep as many people reading as possible. That is the best way to do it, but that's not always what happens. Mm. Is yeah. the grim truth. It's, you can't drag these things out for as long and as they're going out. This is why there's so much shite in the X-Men. It's why there have been so many reboots all over the place. It's why you get so many crossovers. You also get the problem that I've had with some of these things where I've seen the film and I think I vaguely know what the character is about and then I try and dip into one of the comics and actually you get a subtly different version of that character in each one depending on what the writer they brought in wanted to do with it. Which, Sometimes an actually different person. Well, yeah, exactly. It's kind of jarring if you thought you knew what the thing was from mm. the easy, palatable way of getting told of it the first time. A while ago someone asked me who Nightwing was because I'd made a casual reference and I realised that I didn't have a way of explaining without making the entirety of comics sound stupid. Maybe the entirety of comics is stupid. To an extent. Yeah. I love it for it, I do, but I've got weird sci-fi nerd boy uh, continuity brain. Mm. Yeah. I, think, I think you guys also got into this shit young and you were working near this stuff for mm. a while. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, very true. We were both working selling comics for a couple of years, um, and certainly I read a lot growing up, just because it was in the library. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully that's a useful answer. There's, I mean, I think we'll extract a reading list. There are, there's, there's, there's probably a reading list that's useful for anyone who thinks I want to read some superhero comics. I think we're light on the DC, but we might be able to come up with some stuff to add. I don't know. It's going to take people long enough to read Darwin Cook's stuff. It's pretty big. Um, I think that's it. Follow the people that you like already. There are some jump on points if you want to try, but please remember you don't have to. We almost got through it without saying jump on point. This, uh, the no, I've said it like three times. The industry's favourite term. I've said it a lot. A great jumping on point. I, I, I'm not a good dude. The fact that the industry needs that as a thing that it says in its marketing <gasps> says a lot about the industry. Batgirl! The recent Batgirl. Please yeah. read Batgirl. Um, I can't remember the name of the anyone involved, actually. Was it not Girl Simone? Uh, no, not the recent one. Probably not the one you're thinking of, anyway. Really? No. We will put it in the show notes. Sorry, that guy. We like you. We always sound better in the show notes. It's like Squirrel Girl, but it's Batgirl. Okay. She doesn't have a bat with a bow on. She doesn't have a tail. No. Do you think we're done here? Do you think we're done? I think I'd really like a pizza. I yeah, really hope we are. Because this, this might be the longest one we've ever recorded. Say goodnight. Oh!